And so as the relationship develops, there are all of these things that are not talked about. And there are tons of points of friction, right? Founder thinks the investor is an idiot. The investor has no idea why the founder is not listening to them. Both sides are right, <laughs> of course. Um, and we go back and forth on explaining why we behave the way that we behave throughout each of those life stages of the company. Are you ready to hear business stories and learn effective ways to build relationships, generate sales, and level up your business from awesome CEOs, entrepreneurs, and founders without listening to a long, long, long interview? If so, you've come to the right place. Gresh values your time and is ready to share with you the valuable info you're in search of. This is the I Am CEO Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. This is Gresh from the I Am CEO Podcast, and I have a very special guest on the show today. I have Elizabeth Zalman. Elizabeth, great to have you on the show. Thank you, Gresh. Super excited to have you on and talk about all these awesome things that you're doing. And of course, before we jump into that conversation, I want to read a little bit more about Liz so you can hear about some of those awesome Liz is an infrastructure and information security expert. She is a two-time founder and CEO of venture Back companies, building the first to a successful exit and the second to a multi-hundred million dollar business. Elizabeth has raised more than a hundred million dollars in venture capital from the most renowned investors in the world. She is a frequent speaker and guest at industry events and tech podcasts. In addition to being an investor and advisor herself, and she's also the author of the book Founder versus Investor. And I love the reason that she wrote the book. I was listening to an interview, and I believe her and her co-author actually connected over a blog post, uh, which kind of started to build their relationship. And of course, this book. So I, I love the idea of connecting and networking through like content and and the content creation. And I was also listening to an interview, and she's just an absolute wealth of knowledge. And one interview, she said something that's so practical, but it really hit home with me. Where she says, so many times you're trying to figure out, is this the best time to start this business? But she said she tries to focus on the business she was building yesterday, the business she's building today, and the business that she's building tomorrow. And I love the practicality of that and how impactful that is. And of course, I got to throw in, she's a fellow dog owner. So who doesn't love their dogs? And and definitely expected um, super awesome things. Thank you for being on the show, Liz. Are you ready to speak to the IMCO community? <laughs> yes, Crash. Thank you. Absolutely. So to kick everything off, I know I read a little bit about your bio and all the awesome things you're doing. So I wanted to hear a little bit more on what I call your CEO story. We'll let you get started with all the awesome work. I think my very first business actually was in college. I was going to school in Canada and I couldn't get a work visa. And so I started an eBay-based consignment business to keep me afloat before I graduated. And then a few years later, I started working for a startup that was founded by one of the inventors of instant messaging, one of the founders of ICQ from Israel. And so his next company was banner ads, remarketing or retargeting those ads that follow you around with the, with yeah. the shirt you just looked at on the gap. And so he started that company and I think I was employee seven or eight and worked there for four years. And then I turned to one of my coworkers and said, I think we can do better. Why don't we start something? So we started our own ad tech company and raised a little VC money, sold it four years later. And then I started my latest company, StrongDM, which was a complete pivot, not in ad tech, but it was in infrastructure access management. And then two years ago, I stepped down from StrongDM and I turned to actually, I think the, the blog post you're referring to, Jerry, he's actually been an investor of mine for, I've known him for 13 years. And so he wrote a blog post and I read it and I said, this is amazing. He was talking about boards of directors firing founders and founders loved it. And investors, of course, hated it. 
But the commonality was that he was talking about something that nobody ever talked about except behind closed doors. And that's why it got such a vociferous chorus of people saying, this is great or this is terrible. And so we decided to write a book about all of the things that people don't talk about unless it's behind closed doors. And that's where the book Founder versus Investor came. Nice. I absolutely love that. So I wanted to drill down a little bit more and hear a little bit more about the book and all the awesome things you're working on with your, your company. Could you take us through a little bit more on how you're serving the clients you work with? So I stepped down from StrongNam two years ago, so I can talk about two, two years ago StrongNam. The company sells infrastructure access management. So I think for the layman, let's see, today you might shop online and you can go and a website might ask you to create an account. So you can create an account with a username or password. You can create an account by linking Facebook or LinkedIn or Gmail or whatever your you know, social login of choice is. That concept doesn't exist in enterprises for business. And so, so StrongDM takes this one account and allows staff members to log into databases or servers or a web applications sitting behind a VPN or Kubernetes clusters or whatever without necessarily knowing usernames or passwords. And I actually thought there's a lot I can talk about that we did differently with respect to the customer and how we listened and how we ran support. But I, one of my most favorite stories from the company is actually something, there were three founders and early on, right, the first customers of a startup or early adopters, and especially if they're paying, you want to make sure, I wanted to make sure that, that they felt listened and heard and totally respected. And so we, every year, started this tradition called Founder Cookies. And it's exactly what it is. It's Founders Bake Cookies for every single customer that the company has. And it started as 10 or 20 bags of cookies. And the founders were all distributed. So we had one baking pod in the West Coast and one baking pod in the East Coast. And then I think the last year that we did it, it was the year before COVID hit. So 29, December 2019 we had a thousand bags of cookies going out um, and <laughs> nice. we started sneaking little nips of alcohol in the mail, I think probably illegally. Um, uh, and it was great because people, you put aside the product and you put aside the software and you put aside the service. People remember the, the human touch, which I think can make all of the difference and especially in enterprise. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. And, and I, I love that you shared that and you guys were all able to do that because I always say we forget about sometimes that human part of business. So is that a little bit of what kind of led or what that maybe awareness or mentality is what kind of led you to writing this book of like understanding these are things that people aren't talking about, but this is something that fellow humans, other people want to know about. Is that a little bit what led you all to write the book and what we can find in the book? I think the book goes back to the question, if I am a startup and I am a venture capital startup, then I'm taking a very particular kind of money. It's not a bank loan that I pay back across 30 years at four or five or whatever, seven and a half points of interest today. Um, <laughs> it is a very specific relationship in which somebody is giving me money for a piece of my company. And the investor has one goal, which is a crazy outsized return. Right? Investors are gambling you're placing 50 or 100 bets in a fund. And one of these essentially needs to have a 1,000x return or 2,000x return in order to pay back the fund. They're looking for the one and the ace in the hole. And so along the way, along the growth of the company, and there are right, a number of stages, you have to find each other and then you fundraise and then there's terms to consummate the relationship. And then there's a board of directors that you speak to quarterly or maybe more frequently. 
Um, and then there's a growth phase and then you exit. And so through all of these phases, the stakes change, the desires change. Founders need to shift into operators, for example, as opposed to just being a founder and in the nitty gritty. And investors go from just having a, a small bet in you, million, two million bucks, having 20 or 30 or 40 million, and you become the one that's going to pay back the fund. And so as the relationship develops, there are all of these things that are not talked about. And there are tons of points of friction, right? Founder thinks the investor is an idiot. The investor has no idea why the founder is not listening to them. Both sides are right, (laughs) of course. Um, And so the idea behind the book is Jerry and I wanted to talk about this and we go back and forth. So he fully embodies the investor and I fully embody probably the extremist founder in fairness to him. And we go back and forth on explaining why we behave the way that we behave throughout each of those life stages of the company. I don't think that... I don't know that things will ever change dramatically, but at a minimum, both sides can go into the relationship at least understanding a little bit more about the other. Because what happens is when there are huge blowups, typically the founder can get fired or the founder digs in their heels and then the investor is just hung out to dry. And in all of these cases, it's the company that suffers. And we're in this, we, the investor and the founder, are in it in order to build a great company. And so the idea is that if you can understand the other side better, perhaps we can have fewer points of friction or maybe the amplitude of the friction is slightly less um, so that the company can survive and ideally thrive. That was the idea behind the book. Nice. I appreciate you breaking that down. And do you feel like that's part of what I would like to call your secret sauce? It could be for the book, it could be for yourself or a combination of both. But is it that ability to bring a for lack of a better term, holistic kind of awareness to this journey that the, the founders and the investors go through? I think the only reason why I have this awareness, which is also imperfect at best, any human is because I've been in this for 13 or 15 years. So that just comes Mm. with time and hours, right? You're not going to play pro tennis unless you're putting in 5,000 hours a year. And so I think for me, my, my secret sauce to success, let's say, is that I will, I am shameless. I will not take no... It's not that I won't take no for an answer. I am shameless at getting to a yes or no. I want to know whether we're moving forward on something or not. And that could be issuing an offer letter. It could be closing a sale. It can be getting to the end of an argument. I am supremely confident. My boyfriend asked me all the time. He's like, you just wake up and you say, he's like, two years ago, you woke up and you said, I'm just going to publish a book. And then there was the book. He was like, how did you know it was going to succeed? I was like, "I, I didn't, but I knew that I wanted to put something out into the world. I had a general sense of what the shape and size of it needed to be. And I knew something would come out the other side, whether it was a book with Jerry, my co-author or haikus, I don't know, but something (laughs) that's what I have confidence in is my ability to get something done. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit and I wanted to ask you for what I call a CEO hack. So this could be like an app, a book or a habit that you have. It could be something from your book as well, too. But what's something that makes you more effective and efficient? I could say something like making time for walks or getting up early to work out, but I'm going to save you that tired trope. Um, <laughs> you're you're going to laugh at this one. I okay. So the backbone to my company's email was G Suite Gmail. I can't stand the Gmail web interface. I can't stand threaded messages. And it it makes it worse for me when I now also have Slack 
and there are text messages and there are Zoom calls. And so I've created a single point of communication funnel and exists today, even in my personal life, it's email. If you need me to do something, you have to send me an email. And not only that, but the only email client that I will use is locally installed Microsoft Outlook, not the 365 subscription, locally installed because I don't like paying for constant upgrades. And I will not go to bed. So inbox zero is a, a pipe dream. But what is not a pipe dream <laughs> is keeping emails down to a single screen. So I will mm. not go to bed unless I'm down to one screen on my laptop of emails. That to me is catching up. That that, that has served me in good stead for a long time now. Yeah, I can imagine. That sounds amazing. So yeah. Thank you for that hack. So what would you consider to be what I call a CEO nugget? This is a little bit more word of wisdom or piece of advice. It might be a nugget that you had in your book, but it's something that you would tell your younger business self if you were to hop into a time machine or potentially somebody going through the venture journey and trying to understand how best to get funding. I am a big fan of therapy, not a CEO coach not any sort of like mentor from a management perspective, but an actual real therapist. Sometimes it's better if they understand the jargon. Actually, maybe sometimes it's better that they don't understand the jargon because they force you to speak more plainly. But I'm a big fan of taking space from the work and trying to understand what's going on inside, inside my own brain. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. There you go. I love that. So what would you consider to be my absolute favorite question, uh, which is the definition of what it means to be a CEO? And our goal is to have different quote unquote CEOs on their show. So Liz, what does being a CEO mean to you? A CEO in my eyes is accountability, right? So, so things that are good, things that are bad, the shit stops with me. I don't, I think at its core, that's what it is. It's the person responsible for the health and and future of the business and all of the responsibility attached to that title. Yeah. And, and I feel like accountability is such a powerful word. I think the priority, my personal perspective is the prioritization, I think is in, independent of, of that. It's sort of like as CEO, my job is to do access, to lead the company into wherever I'm leading the company. Prioritization is a, is an implementation detail of how to get there. But the CEO being responsible is how you show up in a board meeting, how you communicate to your your staff, what do you do if you have layoffs, given that it's not just impacting the people that work for you, but also their families and putting food on the table, how you go to market, how you service the customer that says, I, you suck and I want to leave. That is right. The buck stops here. Awesome. 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 I truly appreciate that definition. Of course, I appreciate your time even more. So what I want to do now is pass you the mic, so to speak, just to see if there's anything additional that you can let our readers and listeners know. And of course, how best people can get out of you, get a copy of the book, find out about all the awesome things that you're working on. I would say that if you are, there are a lot of great business books out there about startups, how to grow a startup, how to sell within a startup. And I would say that Founder versus investor is the one that will make you less naive about what the relationship is going to be. So it completes, I think, the cornerstone of, of the canon of books that exist out there today. So I would say if you're considering venture capital, pick up that book so that at least you understand what you are about to get into and you go in eyes wide open. Yes, absolutely. And best way for people to get a hold of the book, get a copy of the book, and of course, get a, in contact with you. Contact with me. Just, just hit me up on LinkedIn and then the book, wherever you like to purchase books. I'm a big fan of bookshop.org simply because 
order goes through your local bookstore and it supports small business as opposed to Amazon. There you go. Definitely. And we'll make it even easier by having the links and information to show notes. We're also going to have a copy of the book I have right here in front of me. So also have it on our CEO bookshelf. But I, I love, um, the, you know, the book and, you know, I'm, I'm delving into it now. And I would even say even if you aren't going down that route, but you're even running the business, just having awareness around quote unquote, the other side of the coin or the other perspective is so powerful. So I love the book. And of course, I love that you took some time out with us today. So Liz, appreciate you. And I hope you have a phenomenal rest of the day. Thanks, Gresh. I appreciate it as well. Thank you for listening to the I Am CEO podcast powered by CB Nation and Blue 16 Media. Tune in next time and visit us at imceo.co. I Am CEO is not just a phrase, it's a community. Want to level up your business even more? Read blogs, listen to podcasts, and watch videos at cbnation.co. Also, check out our I Am CEO Facebook group. This has been the I Am CEO Podcast with Gresham Harkless Jr. Thank you for listening.